0: I just journal all the time. And the reason why is because I find my mind is quite sticky. And so I pick things up, unless I put it down on paper in some way, then it's just gonna keep going around and around. Some things go around for years and years, and then they become a play or they become a film.
1: Hello. Welcome to This Is My Cinema, the podcast from the British Independent Film Awards that journeys into cinema memories and fantasies with some very special guests. I'm Rihanna Dillon.
2: And I'm Michael Leader, and together we're sat in the front row getting a big screen picture of our guests' life-defining cinema trips and asking them what their perfect cinema is, what film they'd love to see there, and what food and drink they'd be taking into the screen too.
1: And this week's guest had some incredible choices. Oh,
2: he's certainly did we spoke to Arinze Kenny the superb actor and writer in between rehearsals for playing Bob Marley in the brand new musical Get Up Stand Up which starts in October
1: which I can't wait to see especially after loving Arinze in Been So Long and The Past and lots of other things and after having such a lovely conversation with him as well so here he is Arinze Kenny
2: Rinzai Kenny, thank you so much for joining us today. So for the conversation, this is your cinema, and we love to kick off all our conversations with this high-concept fairy tale dream premise. You have the run of a cinema of your choice for one evening to show us a film of your choice. Does a film and a cinema come to mind?
0: Yes, well, for me, it is a no-brainer. It's got to be Do the Right Thing, Spike Lee. And the cinema, it would be... Well, my favourite cinema is Bloomsbury Curzon. It's just something about, well, first of all, I love the architecture. It's just such a, it's a very interesting a place. I love the walls and the fact that it's, you really feel underground. You just go inside and then you just start going further and further down. It just makes it feel very cozy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So why do the right thing?
0: Why not? You know, why ev- I mean, it's what we're meant to do, right? You know, the right thing. It's one of the films that I saw a bit too young. <laughs> I think I was about I don't know nine when I first saw that movie. I must have been about nine, actually. Yeah, because I had been in the country for a few years, long enough to like to know the language and to understand the film properly. And even the bits that I didn't understand, they were just they just looked so cool. But the older I get, the more I love that film. I remember as a kid, the first time I watched it, it was just captivating. You just saw all these beautiful brown people just being themselves in the sun. And then the story itself was quite an interesting story, you know, about a small Brooklyn community and and about an Italian pizza shop right in the center of it. You had a love story thread as well with Spike and then you had the brewing political side of it of what it means to be in the heart of a community and to not give a nod to that community that film is just always for me it gets better and better the performances are incredible from start to finish try not to crush on Rosie (laughs) Perez as a young kid man especially with the way she opens that film with the like it's like a 10 minute dance routine and she got boxing gloves on and she's got like a full on books and like ting on with, with the with the short shorts. And then she's doing, the, she's popping her chest. And I remember just watching all of that, just wanting to learn the dance moves. The song is Fight the Power. And it is just, it's incredible. It's an incredible opening of a film where you're just watching her and just like, it's just like, this film is going to take you somewhere. I promise you, that's what that beginning says. And then it just kicks off and, and it's like the hottest day of summer. And you can feel the heat. Every living room that I watched that from, I could feel the heat. I was literally sweating watching that movie. And also, like, the representation of the entire community. It's just the whole thing, from the story to the performances, to the soundtrack, to the lines, you know, the lines that you kind of take away. Yeah, it was amazing, man. Good to watch. And I I also can't really watch it now. I can't watch it too often because of... uh, because it makes me cry now. It's really. It just reminds me a bit too much of my childhood, like mm. in in a nostalgic way. You know what I mean? Like and so it's a mixture of excitement, but also like a like a sad missing. Like I'm like oh man, I remember those days. My way I could just sit there and I used to I used to watch it. There were two movies I used to watch where I used to just have a bowl of dry cornflakes like and I would eat that like like it was popcorn or you know <laughs> I would just eat that. And yeah, that was well. Do do I think was one of them. The other one was um was Grease. This is in the '90s, and so I recorded it on a tape. You know, on a I, I can't remember what was on the tape before, but it was probably something like my brother probably bought like a Gladiators video from the one pound store, and then we recorded over that because of like we just wanted a tape. To, to, so that we could like fill in that little gap. You know, there was a little gap and you either had to put sellotape on it or you had to fill it with like crushed paper. And then so that you could re-record onto the cassette. And yeah, we just recorded onto it. So obviously I missed like a bit at the beginning of the dance, but got most of the film in there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I recorded Grease off the TV. And so I never knew there was that beginning bit of Grease until I was about in my twenties, I
0: think. Do you know what's hilarious? The exact same thing happened to me.
1: <laughs> it's really my, sad. My
0: my Greece started when they were on the bleachers and it was the guys when oh, yeah. they were on the bleachers and you know, so I forgot I didn't I didn't see all, all that beach stuff and them actually meeting before school. I know.
1: I think there's gotta be some sort of like psychological impact of not of growing up, having knots in the beginning of Greece
0: <laughs> for yeah. years.
1: So musicals were always a part of your life from the very early days?
0: Yeah, it was like Greece was a big one. What was that film about with the cats that we used to watch that a lot? O'Malley the Alley Cat. Aristocats. Yeah, that's it. I feel like with kids, musicals are, you know, they get pushed on you anyway, you know, just because of like, they tend to be the more exciting movies. So naturally, yeah, that was, that was the case. I did watch a few, but not too many. I remember like, one of my older sisters wanting to watch Phantom of the Opera and I was like, what is this? Garbage, you know? Like, I got <laughs> excited because I was like, the name is sick. I was like, oh, that sounds like a good... Phantom of the Opera. You know, and then I was like, what is this? What is this?
2: But it's always really fun to talk about those early years of getting into film because your taste is often so much defined by what your family is watching if you have other siblings or like your parents taking you to the cinema or whatever. And already you're giving us a little hint of like what your brother or sisters were watching. So what were they making you watch? And at what point did you know what you liked versus what they liked?
0: Well, I'm number four of five kids. So that means, listen, before the remote control gets to your hand, the amount of things that need to happen, your brother needs to break (laughs) his leg, right? Your sister needs to be like on real bad terms with mum and dad, you know? Your other sister has to be at like Saturday school, yeah? And then it's you. And then even then it's like, what What do I do? Like I don't even, you know, it's kind of, it's just the excitement. So let me tell you, it was hardly ever in my hand, the remote. And so I did not have control over the, the waves. It was all of them. And so I grew up Watching films like Juice, all of Spike Lee's movies. When you're talking about cinema from black filmmakers in the 90s, that was my bread and butter. Because my sister and my older brother, that was like that was all they used to watch. So Juice, Above the Rim, Poetic Justice, basically everything that Tupac was in at that time. Higher Learning, the Morgan Freeman ones, and then the Spike Lee movies. So we're talking Crooklyn, we're talking Clockers. She hate me, school days, all the way back to them. And then as well, because we didn't really have, like part of our Christmas present, my dad would, we had cable, right? My brother was a smart guy. And so he somehow kind of would sometimes be able to plug the thing in a certain way so that we could get extra channels, but we couldn't ever get the sky channels. And so we'd have to wait around for my dad. Around Christmas, he'd, he'd buy the Sky channels for a month so that like for a month we we could watch some things. And that's the only time when we could watch everything, when there was just movies. Like that was when I watched things like Home Alone and I was really underwhelmed by Home Alone. I could I just didn't get it, you know. <laughs> I was just baffled by the family. I was just like, what family? Functions like this. I don't <laughs> know, any family who would, because of my family, functioned in a completely different way. My parents were headmaster and deputy head, and so there's no way you can f- forget a kid at home because that kid would have done everything. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You need that kid, and so yeah, it was just a wild thing for me that film. But yeah, and again, you know, have to stay up real late to watch some of those because of I had to wait for everyone to get to bed, and also like my dad didn't really like us watching certain movies. And so you have to wait for them to get to sleep and then sneak back down, keep it on like volume two or something. And and yeah, watch it. This is taking me
1: back. (laughs) So when was it that you realised that actually there could be a career in this for you, that this was an industry that you could make your way into?
0: I don't think it was a moment, like one moment. I think it was me eventually realising, because I was writing like all during this time, I was just as much influenced by the box, you know. I was watching the box, and music, you know. And so I used to write a lot of music, and then, like I said, Tupac, he was an influence, not a major one, but a bit of an influence. But you would get a big, and basketball was my was my sport, right? And what would happen? So it's all quite American as a kid, to be honest with you. Being from like being born in Nigeria, anyway you don't really think you 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 see yourself as a black african and then the next thing you see is african americans because that's what's on television and so you you don't they weren't know we didn't know any any famous british people be in nigeria and then when we came over here we just carried on looking at the americans and the first famous person that i ever saw on television was trevor macdonald and then after that it was lenny henry but that, like that was that was really it. And so I just carried on with my American influences and in basketball, hip-hop music, um, and African-American films, those three. I, I was writing rhymes. I was writing raps. I was writing songs. And then I was looking at the movies and some of these rappers and some of these singers would turn up in the movies. Biggie, Tupac, DMX, and Nas as well. Sorry, Nas in belly and DMX was in another thing, um, Cradle to the Grave. Aliyah as well. You know, she. I think she was in Cradle to the Grave as well. But it's like... This crossover, that was what I was really interested in. And so I just knew that that was the world. Whether it was music I was making, it didn't really matter. I just knew that, like, yo, black people are having fun and they're making shit. I want to be a part of that world in some way. Carried on making music. And then just fell into performing arts because of the crossover. I I randomly just walked into a theatre and, uh, you know, even back then I wasn't even thinking film. I was just still thinking performance, live performance. Screen stuff started happening as a result of some of my stage work
1: and just to go on to some of the stuff that like the one of the earliest things i saw you in was probably been so long and that experience of being in a musical all kind of set around really recognizable places in london as well and working with someone like michaela cole Mm -hmm. tell me about that experience because that was just incredibly exciting to watch let alone must to be in it man it was
0: amazing because i had done the play 10 years before and so there again where where theater is the bedrock but yeah it was it was crazy for like initially getting to revisit a character you played 10 years ago and all the stuff you learn in life, you know, and playing his character again. I never thought I'd be able, I'd I'd come back to him, you know, because that was the end. That was brilliant in itself. And then me and Michaela, we've been friends from time. Like before either of us had our first credit, we were buddies and we go way back. We got like, we got some stories from when we were youths and we were just doing stupid things or I was doing stupid things and like, you know, (laughs) I got her car, um, taken like by the police and like I, I, I had zero money at that time and I had to get it back because they had put it in one of them wherever they take cars when they take it and uh and I like that was just the most aggro week because of like I was like how do I get money to take and then it's adding up every day so like if you don't get it the first day <laughs> you know yeah and um like and, and this was this year so and then however many years later 12, 14 years later we get to make a film together <laughs> <laughs> I love it's that. just it's just wild so it was great not just Michaela but getting to work with my mates
1: when you work on something like One Night in Miami which you starred in that right You're on in theatres and then to see somebody else take that role on screen mm-hmm. what experience is that? is that a really kind of tricky one? are you, are you able to watch that film?
0: yeah man I watched it and it was brilliant. It mm-hmm. is brilliant. It's a brilliant film. Oldham Junior did a a brilliant job, you know, playing Sam and his voice is amazing, but he's also a, such a brilliant performer too. And they cast it so well. Um, it was a special project when we did it on stage. It is one that it's just close to my heart, man. The, the subject matters in there. I'd never been in a rehearsal room like that before. When you put those specific, men in a room, Jim Brown, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke and Ali. Ah man, it was special, it was special and we really invited the spirits, we really called on the ancestors to come and like bless us with that play and with the insight, you know, to be able to to deliver the message. And honestly, the, my experience watching the film was just one of pure love, pure joy, couldn't be happier for Ken Powers, the writer. Mm-hmm his story itself is magnificent and it needed to be made because of cinema has it changed my life as in it had such an incredible impact on me as a young person to see like positive depictions of people who look like me one of my favorite movies is crooklyn because it was the first time i'd seen a family that looked like mine like five brown kids mum and dad together trying to make it work working class i don't know I was like, that's like us, you know, that they were arguing over the same stuff. What I was talking about with the remote that happens in the film the way they're fighting for the channel. I just loved it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So One Night in Miami was just pure joy. It was deep joy.
2: I love how you speak about that experience of watching these films as a kid and what it opened up to you but where does cinema factor in now you, you know, you're you a writer you're a performer stage is the bedrock as you say but do you still go to the cinema now what do you go and see and what what turns you on now when you when you're watching films
0: man well we are in 21 2021 so it's it's a tricky time to just rock up at cinema where before i genuinely was in a cinema probably about once a week i'd just see whatever was new that was out and and was recommended or if i read a an article about something, I just go and, and watch it. I'm in Hackney, Picture House is literally four minutes away from me here. I do a lot of theatre, and so Sunday morning was my cinema time because if I don't, it messes up my, my day if I see it in the afternoon and then go to the theatre. And then obviously by the time we come off stage, it's a bit too late. And so most of the time, I was I'd be going Sunday morning or early afternoon. I like to go alone. I prefer to watch movies by myself. I just experience them in a more emotional way. Actually, I can connect more and really uh, observe it more. And cinema for me, okay. So I'm I'm still a kid, man. You know, it's still like I'm still I'm still a big fan of what we do. Even though like you know, I, I now know how we how we do it, how we make it. It doesn't. It's it's no different. You know, like I still I still. Bawled at Star is Born. I still cry. I still, I still marvel at what well, the last movie I saw, for example, Tenet. Right, which, I don't know. I mean, we won't go into that, but like the the story, I wasn't, well, I didn't love, but how cinematic it was, how incredibly beautiful those shots were. I marvel at that, and I like. There isn't much that I don't like. I have a movie account, and I I watch films from all around the world just random ones you know that i just pick because of whatever and then i will very happily go and watch a marvel movie at the cinema you know and 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 experience that in a very different way to a documentary at the ICA but i i watch everything i'm just a, a big fan and um, and i and, and as well like i kind of i do take it home as well like and i t- i tend to journal about um things that i that I watch just because of otherwise it will just keep going in circles in my head oh, that, oh, that character or that storyline or why didn't they finish that and I'll just put it down once I get it down then it stops going around in my head
1: I love that do you do that with theatre as well
0: I do I I well I carry a notepad with me everywhere but I I journal with theatre with well, do you know what? I just journal all the time. And the reason why is because I find my mind is quite sticky. And so I pick things up and then I find it unless I put it down on paper in some way, then it's just going to keep going around and around. And I, and to the point where like some things go around for years and years and then they become a play or they become a film. It's just an idea or a belief. And then uh, I have to explore it. Otherwise it's just gonna keep going around and around. And yeah, and sometimes a film does that. It sends me reeling, like Joker. When I saw Joker, I think I might have journaled for about three hours after that film. And I had a full on like coffee date that I was meant to go on and I just missed it. And I was just writing there at the picture house in the cafe. And it's because of the film just made me just think so much. I was just like, oh man, and it made me feel a lot. And I was like, "How could, How did that work? Like, how did they do that?" I was a fan, and in fact, it, it, it like such a fan that I haven't watched it again since <laughs> because I'm like, I don't, I wonder, I don't want to spoil the experience that I had of it watching it the first time.
1: So, what happens if there's a script that you read and you love it, and it's going round and round in your head? Is that a just a sign that you need you need to try and get that role? Is that your sort of gut instinct? Is that how it works?
0: Well. See, not always. I, I'm i definitely a writer before I'm an actor. And that is, I've learned that. I've learned that along the way. If there is anything, sometimes people ask me, oh, what do you prefer, theater or film, acting-wise? And, and that is, for me, that question is irrelevant because of actually, when it comes to acting, I just do the job that I want to do. But the real question is, or writing or acting, because mm-hmm. if that seems to be the one that very often I have to make the decision, I have to go. Actually, I'm not going to take this job because I'm going to allow myself some time to uh, finish this draft or to start this new idea or to develop this develop this thing. And I learn. I've learned over the years that actually sometimes when I say yes to an acting job and then let the writing. it on a back burner i am not very i'm not satisfied like it can make me quite unhappy and it's it's an anxiety and it's like and then i always wish that i hadn't and so now if i have a burning idea that i need to be working on now i i just follow that and and i ever since i've started doing that i never regret it i never regret taking the time out even regardless of like where the project is at right now or what happens with it that's the i've I, i never regret that and so sometimes i do read a script and it will get sticky. I I, I generally I'll, I'll go for it if it, if it's an acting job and I want it, I'll, I'll go for it. However, if it doesn't go my way, I'm all, I mean we get used to rejection. We get used to to that. Sometimes it's it does kind of sting, you know, like the, the odd one. Sometimes it, the odd one and it comes it's it's really unexpected the ones that that you that that you feel when you when you get when someone else gets offered the role. But to be honest, I actually don't go up for that much anymore anyway. So it's like, it doesn't happen as often. I feel like when I first started acting, I was going up for everything. It was like this and that, and you just want to gain experience. Whereas now, myself and my team, we just know, like, uh, there's... I, I kind of know what I want to be up to. And so that kind of whittles everything down anyway. It's not as chaotic as it used to be. And then sometimes I will read a script and I will... Uh, as an actor, and read the script, and then be really inspired as a writer, and it gets sticky, and me think about like, oh, I wonder what would happen if that character did this, and mm. so on. So I'm very easily inspired, that's for sure. And and film and film is like a is is definitely one of the one of the best ways to inspire me. Filming mm. and 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 uh, YouTube videos of cats. <laughs>
2: That's what we all love I mean we we wouldn't dare ask you to State your preference over stage versus theatre But we really love hearing about The effects of watching things In these spaces And stage and cinema Are both things we've greatly missed over the last year or two Not being able to go as much as we would otherwise But how would you characterise the difference Between watching a play And watching a film and the strengths of both It's
0: hard now right, To not know much about a film It's really hard Even if you don't watch trailers, people tend to speak about it a little bit more, or you're more familiar with the actors because of their superstars. And you kind of sometimes know a little bit what to expect, you've seen something. Like I avoid trailers, but it's even still, it's like somehow, like it's like via osmosis, you just gather what it's about. And then in addition, like majority of films have a similar structure. And you know why film is still magical? I just find that I get surprised more in the theater. It's the difference between listening to Pyramid by Frank Ocean on my bows and actually being at a gig and and hearing him breathe and hearing him pause and seeing the sweat drip, seeing what he what he's chosen to wear today. I can really still appreciate pyramids on my headphones. And if I shut my eyes, I can probably picture some really incredible images to go along with it. But it's so more, it's just like, incredible, it's just rich when I see it and, and, and see it live, you know. Live theater is it, 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 irreplaceable and it will never go anywhere, regardless of how far we go. Even if there are a trillion streamers tomorrow and everyone has their own one, Theatre will still be right there because of that because of you cannot replace live there's just things man the best microphone cannot pick up everything because of there's other things that are being sent when a person is there physically in presence it's other stuff that you don't you can't pick it with a microphone you need a person you know you need an animal to be there to witness it and that for me is the difference so i love cinema i think it's incredible but I will always be, you will always see me in the theatre. Man will always be in the theatre, <laughs> trust me. And that's why the reason, like, you know, I love, I enjoy this career that I have, like, you know, where I do both, like, I, I love to be able to jump and, and do something on screen and then wait for, for 20 years for it to come out, But and then, and then in the meantime, like, you know, get on stage and, and do some live work and act with people in real time and feel all of that adrenaline and fear
2: yes i suppose opening nights of a play is very very different to a premiere of a film that you filmed years before
0: oh man it's a a different kind of anxiety and excitement you know because it's a mixture like even when you're super excited and very proud of what you did for the film or for the or what you're about to do for the theater it's a different excitement
2: you talk about how your career allows you to do both and how these careers are bleeding into one. Your actors on stage may appear in films and vice versa. Wendell Pierce, in Death of a Salesman, being on stage with him, an actor who we all have long relationships with from The Wire to all the film roles he was in in the 90s. So, what was it like working with him?
0: Well, I mean, Wendell, you see, yeah, he was in those movies I'm talking about. <laughs> Get on the bus. He was even in Malcolm X. He had one line. Get your hand in my pocket. Or whatever that was. He was the guy who said the line. <laughs> oh my God. Wendell, man. Magical, magical. So you're working with wanna When I was told that it was Wendell, in fact, I was just finishing Misty and then Marion Elliott and Miranda Cromwell, our directors, were like, yo, would you like to audition for Biff in Salesman? And like... I, I've, been, I've been eyeing that part for time Because of it's an, amaz- it's an amazing part You know I was like In my 30s I want to play that role Because it's just <laughs> It's one of the best roles Ever Full stop Let me not try and even whittle it down Like it's just one of the best roles And you read it And I know he's painting as well uh he's And then when I heard it was Wendell I was like Okay cool So I have to Get this role I have to get it uh, Because it just needed I just needed to be in that room I think it would have just Bunned me If I couldn't be in that room And it, it happened before Because of um Years before Another young Vic play This is like Time, time, time ago This was like 2009 or something 2010 maybe But I want to say 2009 And it was a play Yeah it was It's an August Wilson play Called Joe Turner's Come and Gone And Delroy Lindo Right Who I love, and like I said, he was in these movies, you know, he was in Clockers, he was in Crooklyn, and I really would have loved to be in that room, and so, but I couldn't even get an audition. These are early doors, you know, no one knew no one, like, they didn't, they didn't know me. I couldn't ask, I was like, I was asking my agent, like, could I get in? I couldn't get in, and so the play goes up, and at a time, I'm one of the Young Vic Genesis young directors as well. I'm doing a bit of everything. And then I am also assisting on one of the smaller shows going into the, um, the clear at the time at the Young Vic, one of their smaller theatres, like a sixty CR. And so I I go up to David Lan at, at the Young Vic and I'm like, hey, David, um, I I kind I, I? I basically begged him, I just begged him to be to sit in a room like for 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 an afternoon one day. And I go and, and, and yeah, I sat in and I just watched these guys play and just be amazing and, and work on like, I don't know, maybe five pages. It took them the whole day. But yeah, yeah. So I just knew from that experience and from how much it, I was gutted not to be in that play. I wanted this one and I wanted to be sharing the stage with one of my um heroes. And if anything, it just made me love him even more because the man is a genius. And he was born to, to do this thing. He was really born to do it. All of him goes deep, you know, it, it, like I realized that my love for him as a performer is just the tip of the iceberg. I was just like, wow, what he is as a human being, what he's done um, for New Orleans since the hurricane, since Katrina, how he's devoted his life to to African-Americans. I mean, it's just a, an inspiration all round. And also you kind of think about yourself as a young man, and you go all right I'm a, I'm, I'm, a young man I'm doing my I'm acting I'm writing I'm making work but at some point my voice becomes powerful as in like it's always powerful from the day you're born you know everyone's voice is powerful but at some point you have influence and you can make a choice and you can go actually I want to use my influence to help people and when Wendell, Wendell is a yeah he's incredible he he, he made the choice and, and now he's just yeah he's yeah he's an inspiration in many ways
1: before we go I, we can't not talk about your biffer nomination with the pass mm-hmm. and i mean that was only what five years ago yeah but it's it still felt incredibly boundary breaking at the time so can you tell us about working on that and and looking with hindsight now and how important that film was for so many people
0: well yeah i can tell you i mean it was like it's such an interesting one in to pass because i fell in love with it the moment i read it mm. and i fell in love with it i fell in love with all of it i know i know it's a film but it's three scenes really it's three different hotel rooms and three long scenes mostly in real time and so it started out as a play you know it was uh, it was on the the year before or something at the Royal Court upstairs and and i missed it while it was on i've always been a fan of the writer uh, john donnelly when i was learning to write plays i read the knowledge and i just i thought that was such a brilliant play and then he came and he spoke to me when i was on i think i was working as part of a group of young writers at the royal court and he came in and he, he he basically spoke about his process and about writing and stuff and so but i missed the play when it was on and then it came you know across and well i remember when it came in i, I thought that it was going back on and then I thought, like, oh, oh oh no this is a film so he's adapted it and then i just love that the structure was similar because of for me i felt really at home because the theater you learn how to carry a long scene, you know, cause it takes stamina. That's what's really difficult. One of the things that are really difficult about theater is that you have to keep it. There isn't a cut after three minutes, two minutes. So, you know, you, you have to keep the the audience's attention. In fact, that comes later. But firstly, you have to keep the thread yourself and you have to believe in it and you have to forget about where the story is going and, and allow yourself to focus on being in the moment For 20 minutes sometimes or 30 or so someone act plays it's a whole hour 90 minutes and you don't get to sit down and whatever anyway i just felt quite comfortable and i was like i know i can do this how do i convince these guys and so i just went in and and cracked on and then let's talk about the actual subject matter of the film itself. I am from a very traditional old school Nigerian family. You, yeah. And and so it's like men are seen a certain way growing up. I've always bucked up against that. Like I've always not, I've not felt like that was a, true. I, I've not felt like that was I've never, never, never embraced the idea. Let's call it toxic masculinity, even though that is a big umbrella. But there's a lot of stuff that comes under there that I just didn't want to take on for myself. And one of them in, obviously, you know, we're in 2021, but homophobia is still uh, alive. And as a man who grew up with two gay siblings, I feel (laughs) like, I feel when this story came to me, I was like, one, it was great, great story, duh, 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 you know, actual. But I felt the duty, like it was like a calling. And I was like, yes, please let me, give me a chance to prove that I'm the right actor. Mm. But also I feel like I can use some real stuff that I've improved, that I've experienced, some real emotions. I went to a boys' school, for example. Kids are crazy. Kids are evil. Like <laughs> they can be horrible, right? But Being in a boys' school, Jesus, man, it, it's just... In every single year, there's, a, there's some gay guys in every every year. But what they had to go through just for being who they are was it was hor- it was it was a nightmare. It was horrible to to even just to for me to watch. Let alone be in them. I mean, if the film came, I I, I really wanted to do it. I felt like I could bring some personal stuff in there. And also, I spoke to my sisters about it about all of it. One of my sisters read it uh, before I did it. And she'd read a film before, one film before like mm-hmm. that, but that was like something that I had wrote. And yeah, she was like, you know, she had a lot to say about it. Like good positive stuff, but also some criticisms about the characters. And uh, the, it's no secret the, the film's been out for years, but it they, they're not out in the, immediately, you know? Um, and then my character, Ade, later comes out and becomes quite, he's happy he's proud to be out and my my sister just she had a very different very different experience to coming out and um and so she just felt like maybe that bit she always did and even when she saw it she was like maybe that bit got scooted over a little bit she was like i just would have loved to see a little bit more but the thing is we couldn't leave the three rooms But yeah, that film, I'm glad you brought it up because it means so much to me. And um, that is what I'm, when I say cinema can be quite transformative. It can be life-changing. That for me is one of the things that I've done where I go actually some young person or some old person or whoever might, grab some lessons from watching this. Someone might feel like they're safer to come out and be who they are from this. Not not even particularly a gay person, but just someone who is dealing with any sort of identity crisis. They could just feel like, actually this film has given me a little bit more, just like, I don't know, a, a courage, you know, a, a little bit more confidence to stand up for myself, to be who I am, to be proud of being me. And it did that for me, being that, like being in that film, knowing, that some of the people I grew up with are going to watch that film and go, yo, Rinze, like, uh, why What why are you kissing man? you kissing man in that film, yeah? What, what's, what, what's going on? What's going on? And for me, I wished, and it did happen, but walking down Hackney and someone going, oh, yo, you I saw you in this film, bro. Like, I saw this trailer, man, We looks like you and the guy. I was like, yeah, bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I kissed him, bro. <laughs> yeah, let's talk. Let's talk about it. What do you have to say about it? It's a lesson that some some people gotta learn, you know? And uh and I'm proud. I'm 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 happy to be the person to to chat to them about it. Anyway, sorry man, you just got me freaking on my on my soapbox for a moment. Eh? No, I love it. I love
2: that too. It makes me want to go back and watch the film. I've not seen it since it came out. That was that was the first time I'd seen you on screen and it's been such a treat seeing you in everything since then that you mm-hmm. pop up in. Oh, but Arinse, we need to go back to the high concepts structure the wraparound <laughs> of, of our conversation. So oh, yeah, that's let's recap. <laughs> Do the right thing. Curzon mm-hmm. Bloomsbury, underneath the Brunswick Centre, beautiful cinema. Right. But the question is, and this is the contentious question, surprisingly contentious. What are we eating and drinking at this screening? Do you like a cinema snack, a little drink when you're watching films?
1: Is it still cornflakes?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't discovered... So I'm. I'm eating Aitao right now because I'm about to play Bob Marley and so like one of, the, one of the things I'm doing is just like eating nut, nothing that's processed and so it can't be, can't be cornflakes but it can be popcorn now if it's just just popcorn that I've made by myself and then I bring it in. I love popcorn. Popcorn's my favourite snack. Like I make popcorn here all the time with also black pepper if any, if, uh, you know, if, if you've not tried it, um, yeah, olive oil, um, salt and black pepper it's great if you because i love salt i love salt too much so if you if you have that problem too black pepper is really good for you because of it uh you get away with using less salt mm-hmm. yeah
1: nice it's
2: a good tip I, i'd want to drink to go along with that i think i mean that sounds like delicious popcorn but what do you drink when you go yeah. to the cinema a bit of water something else
0: oh it's just water man yeah because i mean unless it's a sunday like i said you know i'm about to get back on stage again. So on those Sundays, generally it's my first time leaving the flat when I go to the cinema. So it would be a coffee and, and water. Mm-hmm. I would have a coffee and water. But uh but yeah generally I'm not I'm not into all those fizzy drinks, you know. sometimes you know a little drink here and there like if, if I'm with a friend. But yeah I don't don't need anything actually. I don't even need popcorn. Like sometimes I just roll it out
2: say Kenny, thank you so much for joining us and talking through your relationship with cinema.
0: Thank you so much. It's been a joy. It's been a joy to to chat about cinema with you lot. And so much
2: more as well. That was a delight. (laughs) Absolutely wonderful. Thank you.
0: Oh, man. Well, yeah, thanks for having me on
1: we covered so much <laughs> in that chat we talked about journaling which was completely unexpected but what a brilliant insight into Arunze's mind and I loved hearing about the past as well and the impact that that had on Arunze and just walking around the streets you know that felt really interesting
2: I know you always love when our guests talk about musicals as well Rihanna. nice yes. bit of grease chat there I oh mean, yeah Arunze what a, a thoughtful person to speak to clearly with a lot of thoughts about joker with all that journaling after seeing that (laughs) film but hearing about his take on do the right thing as well as the amount of thought going into a film like the pass what a wonderful chat that was
1: massive thanks to arinze for joining us and if you fancy hearing more like it just check back in our feed for any episodes of this is my cinema that you might have missed
2: thanks for listening
1: bye This is my Cinema is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa.
2: The show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader.
1: It's produced by Jake Cunningham, Elliot Kinn, and Harold McShiel.
2: And we're edited by Content Is Queen.